right, Bears Bears fans, it's time for another edition of the Chicago Bears podcast, Bears Banter, powered by Windy City Gridiron. Bill Zimmerman with you, and it is good to be back. It is good to be podcasting. Hope you guys have had a great summer so far. Been pretty quiet here for the Bears basically since the draft. Not too much activity. Little activity here this week, though, with the Nikhil Harry trade. Woo! Look out, Bears fans. We've got a a former first-round pick who's pretty much a bust, but he is aboard and hopefully will help out this uh, pretty woeful wide-receiving core. Very excited to do this. This is a going to be a two-part podcast. We're going to release this, this obviously one here, right here, and part two coming up next week. Training camp preview. We are focusing on the offense for this episode and the defense for episode number two. Can't do that alone. Robert Schmitz, Windy City, City Gridiron's own. Uh, I'm sure you follow Robert on Twitter already. If you don't, Make sure you do it. He is a great follow. Tons of great content and, and great video content as well. Robert's been really breaking down the new schemes here with the Colts and what uh, former Colts with Eberflus and what to expect. He's a great follow. Great content. Make sure you do that. We're going to get into literally everything with the Bears. We are doing position groups. We are going to go position group by position group, offense and defense. And what we're going to try and do, we're going to try and give you best case, worst case scenario, right? If anyone has been paying attention to my podcast here, basically since March, you know, I haven't been pleased with a lot of what Ryan Poles has done in his first off season. Some of it, not his fault, but a lot of it, a lot of it is. I'm going to try and get off that. I'm not going to sit here and continue to go back to things that happened months ago. This is the team, and this is what's, what's what, what we're going to focus on here. Now, I'll give you the quick one-minute synopsis for those of you who may have missed earlier podcasts. I think Ryan Poles needed to make more focus on offense than defense. That didn't happen. I'm okay with with the, the late picks and the trading down. That was great. I'm, I'm on board with that. I didn't like the Vellis Jones pick for a, a multitude of reasons. I think one of those second round picks should have been offense. I know a lot of you came back at me and said you can't force it. You didn't have to force it with what the Brisker pick was. I know a lot of you like Brisker. I like Brisker. But you needed to address offense. They haven't addressed offense pretty much at all. They still don't have a viable right guard. So we can sit there and I can nitpick and go back to everything that was done in March and April that I disagreed with, but there's no point. This is the team that is that has been presented to us. This is the team we're going to analyze. It was very clear, if you're looking at what Ryan Poles has done, that he is focusing on the 2023 season, not the 2022 season. I know there's a lot of positivity on Bears Twitter right now about how everyone is, is counting the Bears out and they shouldn't and this and that and the other. Count the Bears out. And if the Bears somehow aren't out, then you can be excited. But don't set yourself up for disappointment this year. Don't do it because you are opening the door for it if you're sitting here thinking the offensive line is going to be a lot better than people think and the wide receivers are going to be a lot better than people think and the defense is going to be top 10 and everything's going to come together and the Bears are going 10 and 7 and they're going to make the playoffs. That is a very, very long shot here. And that's not to say that Ryan Pohl screwed up and doesn't have the humor to make the playoffs. That's not his goal. You know, if you kind of look between the, the lines here, there could be a little bit of tanking involved here because I'm I'm going to guess that Ryan Poles' thought process is let's not give Justin Fields a ton of help, but let's see with a better scheme, focus on the run, utilize play action, 
build around field skill sets if we can see enough out of him where we know this is the guy. And then we can build the offense around him in 2023 with potentially a top five, six pick in the draft in each one of those rounds, obviously, including round one. Focus a little bit more on offense. I'm sure they're still going to make, obviously, defensive picks. But I think that's what they're going to want to do and kind of see what they have with Justin Fields without giving him a ton of help and let Luke Getze decide if this is the guy moving forward. If Fields continues to struggle, if we see more of Justin Fields' rookie year and not as much progression, then the Bears have set themselves up. Because let's be honest, with the way this roster is, if Justin Fields is bad again, and I understand there were a lot of great flashes last year, but if you look at the numbers, they were bad. Was a lot of it Matt Nagy's fault? Absolutely. Was a lot of it out of Justin Fields' hands? Absolutely. But regardless of whatever you want to look at, the numbers were bad. If with a new scheme, if that's what Justin Fields looks like again, then you can really start to question if he's the guy moving forward and you'll have a top five pick because if Fields is bad, you're going to have like a top three, top two pick. Let's be honest. If Justin Fields is the same stats he had last year with this, the rest of this roster, this team isn't going to win more than three or four games, and they're looking at a top two or three pick, and they'll be in a prime position to draft a quarterback, whether that be Stroud, whether that be Young. That'll be up to the the team at that point. But if they're bad and they know Justin Fields is the guy, then it really sets you up for 2023 because, one, if if you've got a great draft spot, you can potentially trade down and pull in future first-round picks to trade down four or five spots when you're that high up in the draft for a QB-hungry team. Or you can take, like, literally the best non-quarterback available and get a huge impact player, whether that be on offense or defense. So I'm pretty sure that's what Ryan Poles is trying to do. Gobs of money to spend next year as well. So he can go get, you know, a high pick at the top of the first, top of the second round. Guys that he can expect to start, add three or four starters in free agency. And suddenly he's added an additional five, six, seven starters to the 22-23 that he has this year, that is a serious improvement, and that's how you go. That's how you become the Cincinnati Bengals, right? I think that's exactly what Ryan Poles is trying to do. So we're gonna we're gonna not focus on the past. We're gonna focus on what this team is and what to expect in 2022. We're gonna give you best case, worst case scenario with all these position groups. What if if everything comes together? If everything really just gels? And is what you hope it's going to be? What is that position group? How productive are they going to be? And we're not going to focus on injuries. Forget injuries. That Anyone can sit there and say, well, if David Montgomery misses the season because he gets hurt in the preseason, then, oh, yeah, we're not, we're not doing that. Let's assume these position groups stay relatively healthy. What can we expect out of them? Best case, worst case scenario. We're going to do that position group by position group with Robert Schmitz. Before I take a break and bring him in on the other side, just want to take a minute on this Nikhil Harry trade. I know I poked fun of it earlier in the podcast, but this is a no-lose trade. They, they can't. If Nikhil Harry doesn't make the roster, who cares? Like, it's, it's a future seventh-round pick. It's not even the 2023. It's the 2024 seventh-rounder. So, you know, you're, you're trading away a seventh-rounder two drafts away for Nikhil Harry. That's the same price that Ryan Pace paid, Ryan Pace played, oh, let's see if I can actually speak. Ryan Pace paid for Eddie Pinheiro. That's the kind of 
you know, that's that's how low this was. This was basically the Patriots saying, here, you give him a shot because it's not working here. What can Nikhil Harry do? Nikhil Harry can block. So can Byron Pringle. Darnell Mooney actually showed some decent signs of blocking from time to time. So what you've got here when you want to run wide zone in the running game and you want to kind of push things to the outside, they've got receivers now who can block. The other thing Nikhil Harry can do, contested catches. He's good at that. That's something Allen Robinson brought to the table that we don't have much of on the roster currently. So maybe Nikhil Harry can fit that role. The problem with Nikhil Harry is everything else is bad. He is not agile. He is not fast. He does not, you know, he does not get open. He does not create separation. So everything else you want out of a receiver, Nikhil Harry can't do. But can he go up and grab a ball and get a 25-yard gain? Can he make some key blocks and, and help this running game? Yeah, probably. So I think Nikhil Harry probably makes the roster. You know, I was telling some people early on, I thought it was 50-50. Maybe it's 60-40, 70-30, because obviously you got the top three that you know with Mooney and Pringle and Jones, and we know that ESB is going to be in the mix as well. There's no way that a Packers guy that Getzey brought in is not making this roster. So you suddenly, that's four. If Harry makes it, that's five. That six guy out of those wide receivers, assuming they're going to take six, that needs to be more of a special teams type player. Maybe Dante Pettis can fit that role. We'll see what they decide to do at the bottom end of that wide receiver group. So we'll get into that with Robert Schmitz. We'll get into the quarterbacks. We'll get into the tight ends, the running backs, and the offensive line, which is very interesting. That's all happening next. This is Bill Zimmerman, Bears Banter. We'll be right back. All right. Welcome back into the podcast. Very excited to do this. This is something I've been talking to with this individual. We've been talking about doing this for, for about a month. And, and I think right about now is the perfect time to do it. Training camp just uh, a little bit away, a couple of weeks right now at the time of the recording. So let's do a training camp preview. Let's talk about these position groups. Let's talk about them objectively and fairly, but let's look at positives and negatives of all these groups. And to do it, Robert Schmitz, you know him very well if you listen to Windy City Gridiron Podcasts. Uh, he joins us now, and we got a lot to get into. Robert, Bill Zimmerman, how are you? I'm doing all right. And, Bill, I can't appreciate your timing enough. We just had an earth-shattering, mountain-quaking trade <laughs> shake up the wide receiver room for Chicago. And there's there's no better time. I mean, if we'd done this a week ago, we'd have to throw the podcast out, right? You, you, you can't do this podcast without talking about Nikhil Harry. And, and we're going to we're going to start there. And and Robert, I, I did a little intro here and I, I told the audience, like, look, I have been down on this this offseason. There were a lot of things I would do differently. This was not I wanted them to wildly spend like Ryan Pace and kick money into the future. But there were things I would do measured things that they chose not to do. But that's okay. I'm sure. getting past that. I'm this is this is what this is the the, the hand we've been delivered. So I'm going to look at the hand. We're going to look at it objectively, and I'm, I'm done complaining. You know, we're gonna we're gonna look ahead here, and we're gonna look at the wide receiver room because perfect place to start, as you mentioned, Nikhil Harry for a 2024 seventh round pick. First off, I want to get your opinion on the trade itself and the player that Harry is and could be in this Bears offense. Sure. So I'll be the first to tell you that it is hard for me to typify this trade as a loss just because the Bears offered the second cheapest 
piece of value that they possibly could. I mean, they would have had to offer a bag of footballs like through Ian Rappaport, an official bag of footballs to get much cheaper than a future seventh round pick. And yes, every pick matters. Ryan Poles even traded down from his seventh round pick this year, turned it into two seventh round picks. So it's not as if the bears lose nothing, but at the same time, this 2022 season to, touch on what you were mentioning, Bill has been so much arguing on forums, on Twitter, on podcasts, on radio about whether the bears are going to be a seven and nine te- or a seven and 10 team still getting used to the 17 schedule or game scheduled thing <laughs> or, or a five and 12 team. And then the occasional person says that they're going to be a nine and 10 team. It, it's it, or a nine and the eight team. It's so much debating over a window of wins that isn't that big. Right. And so the Nikhil Harry move to me, it adds value. It adds a guy who was technically a first round pick, despite how widely criticized he was at the time. So it's not necessarily hindsight to say meh, but also bill, the bears are pretty shy at receivers over six two. They're very shy at receivers that can block on the outside. In fact, I think there's a legitimate argument to be made that Equinemius St. Brown, who did not make the Packers starting roster last year, or like he didn't make the Packers 53 was in line to start before this trade. So if nothing else, Bill, I'm not about to try to tell you that I'm ultra excited about Nikhil Harry, but if he stands out there and blocks and effectively plays wide receiver five, like a budget Alan Lazard role in the green Bay offense, meh, he's a future seventh round picks payment, right? Like how, how much does he really need to do? Yeah. And, and that's kind of where I am. And I, I, I was thinking about this, this when, when the trade was made, this is the same price in terms of the future, how far ahead the future seventh is that Ryan Pace paid for Eddie Pinheiro. Mm -hmm. It's the same price. This is a first round caliber player. In essence, if you want to say he should have been a second round pick, fine, but it's not like he should have been a fifth round pick. Sure. You know, coming out of Arizona state and what can he do? He's one of the best blocking wide receivers in the NFL, which for a offense that for an offense that we know is going to focus on running the football, Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense. Byron Pringle, also a solid run blocking wide receiver. Right. So you have those two guys mixed in with Darnell Mooney. And the other thing that Harry can do is Harry can fill the out, not Allen Robinson, the Allen Robinson role of being able to grab a contested ball in traffic. Right. He can do that. Now he can't create separation. He can't get open. He, there's, there's, you know, he's slow. Yep. There's a lot of problems with Nikhil Harry, you know, People who think he's going to come in and he just needed a change of scenery and he's going to come in with 750 yards and eight touchdowns. I don't see that happening at all. I don't think it's a guarantee he makes the roster. I think most likely he does because of the weakness of the wide receiver room, but he can carve out a role in terms of a a body type and a skill set that the bears really didn't have on this roster. So from that vantage point, it makes sense. I'll be the first to tell you, Bill, that it wouldn't surprise me just taking a look at Harry's film. If he was used, I'm calling it a secret tight end. And let me explain what I mean by that. Harry is a wide receiver. 
And a lot of tight ends, they want to catch the ball enough, right? That when they're used as a blocker, that they can, that that's what they excel at. They can hit those blocks without a DB expecting them to show up in their face. Nikhil Harry might be the kind of guy that in an end zone set, he's used for the occasional fade, blah, don't love the fade. But also he's used for the occasional zone run where the Bears may line up two tight ends on the right-hand side and Nikhil Harry alone on the left. And then they run it to the left against the weak side and Harry makes a key block to set them up for some kind of a running play. It doesn't need to be in the Ren zone, but you get the idea. Right now, the Bears, if we were going to be really positive, Bill, they have Darnell Mooney, who can separate. They have Byron Pringle, who I think is really good between the hashes as an inside receiver. They've got Valus Jones, who, especially when you send him deep, can separate. He was in the 99th percentile in collegiate receivers for separating, and none of those guys are particularly large. Pringle's 6'1", but he's a pretty thin 6'1". He's not 230 pounds. So if nothing else, Bill, I appreciate the body type ad. I think if we take a look at Green Bay's offense, which I don't want, I'm, I don't dream that Green or that Getzy's going to copy Green Bay's offense directly, but they didn't really use their X receiver all that much. And Nikhil Harry may be truly a fifth option and a blocking specialist. And within this offense, there's actually a role for that. Yeah, there, there absolutely is. And I'll just get this in now. Nikhil Harry is younger than Bellis Jones. Okay, that's it. I'm done. <laughs> had to I'm say not it. to do that anymore, but I had to get that in there. Now, um, let's talk about the wide receiver room here. Mm-hmm. You, you talked about it. Um, this is not a strong unit, even with the great addition of Nikhil Harry. Um, not a strong unit. May not be the weakest unit on the team in terms of position groups. We're going to go position group by position group here. There's another one on the offensive side of the football that, takes that is going to be a lot to talk about here. We'll get to that in a minute. Yep. But this room, the one thing you have to like about it is you have Darnell Mooney. Yes. And when, when I say that Darnell Mooney is a below average wide receiver one, which I still believe that's the case because that means he's not a top 15 receiver. I'm not trying to rip the guy. I think Darnell Mooney is really good. If you paired him with another really good receiver, you'd have a great duo yes. at the top, but Mooney's going to have a lot of volume. He's going to have probably 150 targets coming at him this year, which means he could have a, a hundred, you know, a hundred reception season, a, you know, you know, 1300, 1400 yards, double digit mm-hmm. touchdowns. He has the potential to really excel in what they're going to do because we know he's going to be the main target. I like the Pringle signing. I've seen some people not, you know, up and down about the Pringle signing. I think that's a sneaky, good signing. Everything else is where I have a problem with, you know, again, Bellis Jones, forget the age, forget everything else. My big issue with him, the big issue with him is this guy was whatever, five years in college and basically did nothing Mm -hmm. and, you know, finally broke out. And maybe this is what he needed. He broke out and he's going to carry that to the NFL. But was him finally breaking out as a 24 year old collegiate player? Was it that he was a man playing against teenagers in essence? That's what, that's the question that no one can really answer until we see Jones on the field. That's, that's my concern there. ESB, like you said, wasn't right. even a factor with the Packers last year. Yes. He knows Getsy a little bit in the offense, but how much impact can he have in the keel Harry? We just talked about his shortcomings. You got guys like Sharp and Pettis on the bottom of the roster who have you know bounced around the last couple of years, haven't made much of an impact. So what you've got here is you've got Mooney and Jones who are potential building block receivers And then what you have is Ryan Poles went out and grabbed a bunch of veteran guys who haven't had much success, 
but he's hoping, I think, not really too worried about the the volume of, uh, you know, of, of the depth of this unit, but hoping right. one or two of these guys steps up and can actually contribute to this roster this year. That's certainly the hope. I mean, this wide receiver unit lives and dies by what you think of Darnell Mooney. And I think you said something really important because I've seen a lot of conversation where people want to call wide receiver or call Mooney a quote unquote good wide receiver too. This guy's probably between the 25th and the 20th best receivers in the league. He's a, I hate calling him a low end wide receiver one, because honestly, he's just a good, he's a good first option, but he's not Julio Jones. I don't think any of us have any delusions that he's Justin Jefferson, right? He doesn't have the physical attributes that makes Jamar chase so dominant, despite being somebody that can truly run routes at every single level of the field. If you need Mooney to go deep, he can, if you need him to work the intermediate, he can, if you need him to catch the ball short and create yards after, after catch, he can. It's silly to say it because I'm gonna about to put him in the same category as a 2,000-yard receiver here, Bill, but I'm almost certain that this offense is going to treat Darnell Mooney like he's Devontae Adams light. I mean, that offense in Green Bay was we have Devontae Adams and then we have a bunch of ancillary pieces that will punish you if you pay no attention to them whatsoever. And I have a feeling that that's the offense that we're going to look at. So fingers crossed he stays healthy, but it could work. There's a plan there. There's some of these position groups, like we'll talk about, that it feels like the worst case scenario is a lot more likely than people want to admit. This isn't one of those. I actually think this position group's gotten probably too much heat because people wanted to see a DK Metcalf trade. They wanted to see DJ Chart get signed. They wanted to see a Christian Kirk-like ad because people like adding wide receivers, right? But to me, the most interesting name, you mentioned this Pringle is Pringle. Some people want to see a hundred yard receiver from years ago. I see a really good slot guy. He's on a one-year deal. We'll see. Right. The interesting one is Valus Jones. Bill, you and I have talked a lot about NBA basketball. And if I've learned one thing watching the NBA, it's that past certain point, it's doesn't matter how good you are at dribbling. If you're six, nine, you're six, nine. And the guy who's five, nine, cannot match six, nine, the physical attributes that you can't teach are very important. And Bayless Jones is outrageously fast. I mean, 24, 25 years old, all these things are true. If he had been making plays like David Bell had been at Purdue, where David Bell was a little bit bigger than the collegiate DB, he was a little bit faster than the collegiate linebacker, and he got open by technique, like footwork savvy and competitive edge in the air, I'd be worried. But Valus Jones got open because, oh my gosh, Bill, this guy is fast. I mean, he could get open against Alabama. He victimized uh, all sorts of teams throughout the SEC. He got open against Georgia. It's not as if like you're saying that he was some Uber wide receiver number one, but he was Tennessee's one B this year uh, next to a bigger guy whose name I forget. He was number five on the film and he helped make Hendon hooker look good. And bill, not only was he a speedster, he was their third and short guy. He was the guy who would catch the pass on a third and six running a slant where he knew he was going to get cooked by an SEC linebacker as he caught the ball. Hey, I'm not saying he's going to be a superstar. I'm just saying that when I watched his 2021 film, he really did tick all the boxes that I wanted to see. 
as somebody who's trying to evaluate as fairly as I can. He has physical attributes. He has learned how to leverage them. If Getsy and his, the offensive staff can find ways to get him one-on-one against a flat-footed corner, we have a quarterback that can throw the ball a country mile accurately. That's really fun. We'll just have Absolutely. to see if they can do it. <laughs> Absolutely. So, so, so let's talk about this group. And like we said, kind of the best case, worst case scenario. I think when you're looking at best case scenario, Pringle is a guy who needed more targets and couldn't get them in Kansas city blossoms a little bit into the role he's going to have Velas Jones, the speed and the dynamic playmaking ability is exactly what Ryan Poles thinks he's getting. And Jones becomes a legitimate kind of a Tariq Cohen, almost type threat Mm -hmm. in terms of what he can do when Cohen splits outside you're talking about Darnell Mooney, who could take another step and improve again, even further as a wide receiver where you have a, a, an opportunity. And then say one of these other guys, whether it be Nikhil Harry, Sharp, Pettis, one of these guys becomes, you know, ESB, another mm-hmm. legitimate threat. And you've got, and, and I should mention, we're not going to talk about injuries, best case, worst case. Sure. We, we can wipe everyone out with injuries and have a, have a, a, a mess. So assuming everyone stays relatively healthy, we're, we're talking about a team. If one of those other guys can step up that this ends up being having like four solid wide receivers mm-hmm. that Justin Fields can work with. And maybe it's an average below average unit in the NFL, but that's miles better than we're expecting right now. Worst case scenario. Yes. Mooney regresses because while Allen Robinson was terrible last year, he was on the field for 11 or 12 games. Mm-hmm. And Allen Robinson took some attention from the secondary because you can't just ignore him. Now that's not there. So Darnell Mooney becomes the main guy. Can, if, if he, with that extra attention by the defense, regresses, that's a problem. Byron Pringle, it turns out he is just a four or 500 yard guy. It wasn't, you know, or right. he's worse because he doesn't have Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid getting him open. You know, Velas Jones is just a special teams player and doesn't have much of an impact on offense. And none of these other, you know, throw a dart veterans pan out at all. Right. And the unit is, is bad. I think that's kind of the the range we're looking at here with this position group. Yes. And I'm really glad you mentioned that they would still technically be quote unquote average to below average, because one thing that's hard to talk about when it comes to wide receiver rooms, Bill, is that the average wide receiver room is still really good in right. the NFL. I mean, the best wide receiver rooms have two guys that would be first options on any offense, sometimes three. I mean, look at the Bengals receiver room. People act like Tyler Boyd's just a guy. Tyler Tyler Boyd is very, very good and would probably be a 1B option if he was a bear today. He's not, though, unfortunately. So if things work out, I think Mooney blossoms, right? He becomes, oh, my gosh, this guy may not be Devontae Adams, but he's closer than people realize. And then the bears get like three wide receiver threes behind him. But when you have a bunch of options that can all catch 400 yards, your offense can be more deadly than then I think at least people would expect it to be right. The other option is that, like you said, it becomes Darnell Mooney and nobody 
which we actually saw for pieces of last year. I mean, the bright side for Bears fans here, I think, Bill, this is the part I struggle with talking about this unit, is I am a human being that has watched my football team start Kendall Wright as their wide receiver one, (laughs) trade a seventh-round pick for a fourth wide receiver, Dontrell Inman, and he was an instant impact slam dunk good trade. I mean, we have lived I still remember Inman's first game. He had like 80, 90 yards, and people were doing backflips. I was doing backflips. I mean, we've been through some rough times as Chicago Bears fans with wide receiver. And like we had our Marshall and Jeffrey days, but those, those are long gone. We have a young third year wide receiver that has already logged a thousand yard season. That's not that common. I mean, Mooney actually had more yards in his rookie season than plenty of really strong receivers like Terry McLaurin. If memory serves Cooper cup, Tyler Lockett, et cetera, et cetera. I'm very high on Darno Mooney, but, But like you're saying, if nobody else can take any attention away, you can start to triple bracket Darnell Mooney. And it's very hard for anybody to succeed in that capacity. I'm one thing I will say that's really nice about Mooney. You mentioned Robinson. I want to use Robinson as an example for bears fans to watch for, because all that I think changed besides the effort stuff, which we're just going to leave out of this conversation. Cause what are you and I going to really know? Right, Bill? Sure. But One thing that majorly changed between Robinson's 2020 season and his 2021 season is that they didn't let Robinson run every route in the book. They didn't want him running deep because in their words, why would I have Robinson run deep when I could have Marquise Goodwin run deep, right? Why would I want the slower guy running a post? Why would I want the slower guy running a corner? So they used him as a possession receiver and defenses shut him down. I don't want to hear that he was surprisingly good. When Robinson didn't have access to every route in the route tree, he was easy to read. Part of what makes Mooney so good is that he can do every single route in the book and the bears trust him to do it. So you can't just key on him short or he will take you deep. You can't just key on him deep or he will shank the route off intermediate. He and Justin Fields obviously have a connection. I don't want to suggest that Mooney is a whole receiver room by himself, but I will say bill that you haven't proved it until turns out now you did. Right. So maybe this is that year that Mooney has a 1200 yard season. And I mean, it'll take Justin Fields staying upright. I don't want to like, you know, hint at another position group, but if those two can really blossom, I think it helps everybody else out because I don't expect uh, Valus Jones. I don't think he's going to be Debo. Is this controversial? Like I don't watch his film and see Debo Samuel. I see somebody much more in the Marquez Valdez Scantling role of I'm going to take you deep and you're, if you don't see it coming, I'm going to bake you. And that's something that green Bay were used to a lot of effectiveness. And in Tennessee, Valus was outrageously successful running deep from the slot. He's not an outside receiver. If there's one thing I like about the Nikhil Harry trade, it's that Pringle's not an outside receiver. Valus isn't an outside receiver. Mooney's not really an outside receiver. So they did need a body there, but I don't know. Obviously we can hope for the best from former second round pick uh, Dante Pettis. We can hope for better from Tajay Sharp, but I've been here before bill. Like I'll let these veterans impress me when they impress me. Right. But I don't want to, I don't want to set my heart on any of them. Yeah. And look, you know, like you, you mentioned earlier, fields can throw it a country mile and he can throw it accurately. 
And at a minimum, they've put together a wide receiver room with a lot of options of guys who in theory can get open deep Yes, and let, and, you know, and let Justin Fields air it out underneath them and let them run under it. And, and, you know, hopefully six points later, there you go. No stars, Uh, but a classic Packers receiver room that Rogers would suddenly make look really good. I mean, you know it as well as I do. If you traded these rooms, suddenly Packers fans would be like R E L a X and we'd be moaning. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Since we're talking targets for Justin Fields, let's move over to the tight ends. Um, I don't think the depth of this position needs to be discussed too much. You know, Ryan Griffin, James O'Shaughnessy, I think they're both solid players in terms of the types of roles they should have on this team. No one should be expecting much, but you know, the fact that I think they can go out on the field and not embarrass you, at least that's what I'm hoping for. But the focus here, I think we need to talk about Cole Komet. Cole Komet is about as the most controversial figure you can find on Bears Twitter. I mean, (laughs) there there are guys that think he is destined for superstardom. And, you know, I I don't want to sit there and speak hyperbole and they think he's the next Travis Kelsey, but they certainly think he's going to be a top five to ten tight end for a decade in this league. And there's other guys that see him as a pedestrian tight end, maybe worse. When I look at Cole Komet here, Cole Komet, like there's, there's some guys on bears Twitter that just want to trash this guy and say, he has no redeeming qualities. I am somewhere in the middle with that. And I, you know, I'm not one that like is a sit the fence kind of, you know, take, you know, individual. And I am more negative on Cole Komet than positive on Cole Komet. There are things that I don't see him doing that are independent of scheme that I am just not seeing out of him that I think he was drafted to be. Now, does that mean I think he's going to have 200 yards and be a, be a bust this season? No, because the fact is Justin Fields needs people to throw to. We just talked about it. You know, he's got Darnell Mooney. We don't know what Pringle and Vellis and, and, you know, ESB and, and Harry, we don't know what these guys going to are really going to be in this offense, but we do know Cole Komet as a guy who can be a volume target guy, that short intermediate passing game. You know, is he going to be a red zone threat? Is he going to really become a physical specimen at that position? I, I don't see that there, but is he a guy who's a capable NFL starting tight end can be in line? Not like you have to split them out. You know, that's, that's a, 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 to be good and be able to be at that type of role is getting more and more rare in the NFL. Can Cole Komet step up? I don't think we're going to see Cole Komet too much different, to be honest, than the Cole Komet from last year. But at this point and what this offense has, the Cole Komet from last year can still be an asset to this offense. Absolutely. I mean, I think Cole Komet is quickly becoming, Bill, one of the more misunderstood players in on the Bears, if not. Okay, I don't want to say nationwide. That's a stupid comment. Let's just retract that. But tight end is a weird position to talk about because years ago, you only had Zach Ertz and you had Travis Kelsey, and then you had everybody else. I mean, just think about all the fantasy drafts that any football fans, including the two of us, have ever run. If it wasn't those two, it was kind of nobody until George Kittle came out, and then he exploded. And then as Zach Ertz, is de- uh, as I don't want to say decayed, but as he's fallen off, uh, it's Mark Andrews who's exploded loaded and he's amazing he's open all the time but it's like just those three when it comes to receiving tight ends you've got all these people that come out oj howard uh you've got noah fance plenty of names that'll come out in there the next big thing in receiving tight ends and they aren't i mean we said coming out that we would hope that cole commit matches uh matches 
was it the guy from Notre Dame whose name escapes me? It was Kyle Rudolph. And oh, Kyle so, Rudolph. Okay. so far, right. statistically, he has. I mean, it's not that easy, volume be damned, to catch 650 yards in a, or 612 yards in a full NFL season. I mean, it's it's tough, Bill. It, you don't tend to be a 600 yard guy on accident. Now, the problem that I have with Cole Komet is that he is horrible uncontested catches. Maybe he just had everything go his way in uh, in his rookie season and everything go against him in his sophomore season. But we had some nasty drops against Tampa Bay. I mean, Bill, you and I tied Cole Komet for touchdowns for a reason. He had his chances, or at least it felt like that to me because we saw him multiple times in the red zone have the chance to get both mitts on the ball where all he had to do was fight off a third hand and he couldn't. I'm, I understand that this is being a little bit unfair, but but Bill, you and I have been watching football long enough to have seen the Jason Wittens, the Heath Millers, the big lumbering tight ends that don't need to be ultra athletes that at the very least, when you threw them a ball, they could rip it away from a defensive back. And Cole Komet doesn't seem to be particularly good at that, right? Though he does have a solid zone for or a solid nose for zone. He can get himself into space and settle pretty nicely. He's got solid straight line speed. So if you send him on a wheel route or a streak, he tends to be able to separate even just a little bit, but enough for Justin Fields to have made some really solid plays to him. I think Cole Komet is a player that we're going to look back at and we're going to say he was he was always a single at uh, or like out of the second round. But what pick he was doesn't really matter anymore. He's a solid tight end. And if there's one thing, Bill, I really want to see change from him. This may surprise you. Cole Komet's film shows a whole lot of him blocking the wrong person. Now, I can't be certain. I've just looked at playbooks from, for instance, the 49ers, from the Eagles, from basic concepts like toss crack that are fairly well known. And it feels like Cole Komet will block the wrong threat on occasion. Now, Nagy's offense is a mess. I mean, people blocking the wrong person, like, that's an everybody problem. So I'm hoping that as we move forward, we can see Cole Komet excel a little bit more as a blocker and in through falling in line with where he needs to be. If he can do that, then he can make his receiving component an add-on to an already useful player. It's just a matter of seeing that. And like you said, the depth is solid. And, and, and just uh, to further the point on Cole Komet a little bit more, I think the one thing that really just... Um, crushed him in terms of unreal expectations is what he was drafted to be mm-hmm. and out of the gate that that was almost unfair because what, what did we hear the Nagy's offense needs the tight end he needs the tight end he needs the tight end for, for, for years and years and years he needs the tight end they didn't have a tight end you know they tried Trey Burton it didn't quite work out although Trey Burton's first year wasn't terrible it was just the end of that and then the 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 subsequent year that the, the problem was right but he didn't have that tight end and we know we saw how bad that tight end room got i mean let's not forget how low the low was for that tight end room post you know trey burton pre-cole commit it was bad right but so so and i don't know if Nagy or pace said it i doubt they said in a press conference that it was probably daniel jeremiah or if it was if mike mayock wasn't on the raiders yet i don't remember but it was probably one of these draft analysts that said and i know jeremiah was high on commit that said like this is matt Nagy's travis kelsey and once you do something like that that's unfair right it's unrealistic and 
you know, we also heard rumors that if Cole Komet looked like he was going to go in round one, that Ryan Pace was ready to jump up into round one to get him. So when you hear these type of things, then you start putting unrealistic expectations on a guy who was a bit of a stretch as a second round pick, maybe was should have been later that round, maybe even third round most years. But again, like you said, draft pick at this point position is irrelevant. He's the tight end right now. So I think he got shouldered a lot of expectations. Also, to be fair to Cole Komet, the toughest position to come out and be successful in as a rookie is the tight end position. Cole Komet was drafted, remember, in the heart of the pandemic. He yep. did not have OTAs. Yep. His training camp was weird and everyone was segmented and he didn't have true practice. So when Cole Komet was starting week one of his NFL rookie season, he was already further behind, no fault of his own, than other tight ends who had come up historically like he had because of how weird his rookie offseason was. So the fact that he did put together a pretty solid second year, I think is positive. I think Cole Komet is one of these guys for me right now, when I want to look at this group as a best case, worst case scenario, I don't think Cole Komet's best case and worst case is too different because there no. are certain things in terms of separation, contested catches, being that red zone threat that we're not seeing out of Cole Komet that I don't know if that's going to come along and become really a part of his game. Right. I think what we've kind of seen here is I think Cole Komet's kind of settling into who the he is as a player, which is, you know, with maybe some better coaching at an average tight end in the NFL starting yeah. tight end. So top a top 15 tight end, Easily. maybe with some extra targets. If you're a fantasy player, yeah, is he is he a, a potential low end starting tight end on your fantasy team? Sure. You, you, you can talk about that because of the targets and the volume he's going to have. So the fact is. The tight end group, I think, is what it is. It is not special. It is not terrible. It is a, a unit that is respectable in terms of what a lot of tight end rooms are in the NFL. And I think Justin Fields, if he improves in his short and intermediate passing game, which was probably, I think, the weakest point of his game last, well, there may have been some other certain things, hold on the ball too long, sacks, whatever. But one of the weaker points, you know, the further Justin Fields threw the ball, the better he was, it almost seemingly. If he can improve and Getsy can help him improve in that part of the game, I think he'll successfully utilize Cole Komet in the offense. Bill, I sure hope that Cole Komet doesn't get more targets this year than he got last year because he was the 49th most targeted player in the NFL last year. Cole Komet got more targets than Darren Waller just to make sure we're all on the same page. And so, like, there is a lot of his production that came from that, but I don't know. The trouble that I have, because like you're saying, I, I do like Komet enough. I mean, he's already on the team. Right. So you can acknowledge, I certainly can, that he's a very solid all round player. He's a better receiver than a lot of wide tight ends. And he's good enough as a blocker to make def defenses honor that he could be blocking. I just wish that what Komet was good at, there wasn't already people on the roster who tend to be better fits for that role. If you wanted somebody to win on the inside, I'd rather Pringle do it. If you wanted somebody to win down the field, I'd rather Valus Jones do it. You're going to notice I'm not using Darnell Mooney because it doesn't make sense. We're talking about a compliment to Mooney, right? And if th there's just a bunch of things that I would say you want Kmet to do, maybe you want him to catch a pass in the red zone. The other tight ends caught passes in the red zone. Jesper Horstead ripped a, ba a pass away from Las Vegas or a Las Vegas defender, and he only got one chance at it. So he made sure to cash in on it. Like there's, I don't know. When you talk about Cole Kmet too much, you're 
you end up right in the middle. So like you're saying, I agree with you. Worst case, best case are next door neighbors. In this case, it's not that much room to wiggle because we kind of know who commit is if only because we focused on him more than I think any real second round pick deserves, you know? Yeah, a- absolutely. Um, let's slide inside from the tight end position and let's talk about this offensive line group. And this is one we really need to talk about. And I think when we get to best case, worst case on this situation, it's wildly different because Hilarious. of the amount of <laughs> unknown, the amount of unknown that this unit has. I mean, let's let's be honest here. When we look at this group, we don't know who anyone is. And I truly mean that in terms of what they're going to be. We like Lucas Patrick. You know, we know he knows the offense. Getsy wanted to bring him in. You know, he should be a significant upgrade from Sam Mustaver. Sorry, Olin Krutz. But, okay, he's never really had this role, so we don't quite know. Cody Whitehair. If Cody Whitehair rebounds and can be closer to the player we saw, then we know we've got a, a solid left guard that we don't need to worry about. But if Cody Whitehair was regressing last year, not just because of the offensive situation, but because of age and slowing down. We don't know what Cody Whitehair is. Tevin Jenkins. We don't know what Tevin Jenkins is. He's barely been on the field. And the early returns from OTAs were not positive. I'm not going to panic yet because, you know, if an offensive lineman doesn't have shoulder pads on, I'm not too concerned about what's coming out of practice reports. Braxton Jones is suddenly starting at left tackle, but he's a fifth round rookie. We have never seen him on the field. You know, Larry Borum, a couple decent games last year, definitely a positive for a a fifth round rookie, but we don't know what Larry Borum is. You know, obviously all all the six round picks, the, the Zach Thomases of the world, we don't know what we have no idea what this unit is, except that last year, I will say that this unit was bad. We know that. And if you said, if I said Robert Schmitz last year's unit, who were the two best offensive linemen? Wow. It's funny. You should ask. That was probably Jason Peters, which surprises me and James Daniels. That is correct. And they are both gone. So we have the potential as bears fans to see an offensive line regress from what is arguably the worst or one of the worst offensive lines last season. It is a scary proposition because of the amount of unknowns here. And when you've got a second year quarterback who tends to hold onto the ball too long and had some fumble issues, it could be the recipe for a disaster. Yeah. uh, This offensive line's a weird one. I mean, I'll start off bill by going all the way in. Let me put my tinfoil hat on for a second because I get it. It's just OTAs. Who cares? Trust me. I want to be there too, but it is especially weird when Matt Eberflus talks about how they're doing this six man or like this six practice OTA or offensive line rotation, which first off bill feels oddly specific. And second of all, would you believe it? The, media availability on the first practice we got in the second OTA session starts and ends within six practices. How about (laughs) that? Whoa. Like, I don't know what's going on. I want to know what's going on. Tevin Jenkins was a huge key piece as far back as March for what this offensive line was going to be. And if Tevin Jenkins 
can't even win the job at guard, I think the Bears are in real prob or like in real trouble. Now he's still a second round pick. He hasn't lost the job yet. We don't know, right? And that's what makes this best case, worst case scenario so complicated. I mean, credit to Ryan Poles. All these fifth, sixth, seventh round pick offensive lines are or offensive linemen are crazy athletic. Like, is there anything that says that Braxton Jones cannot succeed at left tackle? No, if anything, I thought he sounded extremely put together in his presser and the early returns that we've heard from people who actually got to see practice is that Jones looked like a rookie, right? But we already saw a fifth round pick hit in Borum last year because again, fifth round standards are pretty low. So the fact that he could hold his own at all in a pass rush situation as a rookie is something I think to be admired. So if Borum is a hit, which is like a, 15% chance based on some data from Arrowhead pride and Braxton Jones is somehow also a hit. You're looking at very low odds of both of them being successful, especially considering Braxton's like still a rookie. I mean, you can hear me not quite talking in circles, Bill, but uncertainty is the name of the game here. I mean, the bears are betting on as of, as it stands, let's just say a top seven offensive line group of five question marks, an underperforming highly paid left guard and a former Packers depth offensive lineman. So it's not as if we've got like a bunch of jewels in the crown here on offensive line. And given that I would personally argue that if I got to choose offensive line would be the position I would stabilize and receiver would be the position I'd leave in chaos for a young quarterback. I don't know. I don't want to call things grim for Justin Fields because nothing's set in stone yet, but it does seem like there's a lot of uncertainty. And I think that affects more than just the offensive line. Yeah. Like, and, and, and you mentioned Ryan Poles and, you know, I, I think it's, it's become pretty, pretty clear. And I think anyone who's even looked at these a little bit, it doesn't even matter about the position. It's a general thought process for Ryan Poles. Ryan Poles has a type. Raz score. He has a type. You got it. You got to perform well. You got to be athletic. And, you know, I think it'd be like the distracted boyfriend meme of, you know, Ryan Paul's looking over his shoulder at the woman and it's the Raz score walking by like that's That's what he's looking for. That's what he wants. And that's what he's putting together with this offensive line. Now, you know, I looked at this and, and I've had this conversation with a couple of people of this entire unit. I don't, I mean, Cody Whitehair is, does not fit into the long-term plans of this team. No, he's just here because of his contract and because of the fact that if he does play a little better than he did last year, it's a position you don't have to worry about. He's not going to wow you. He's not going to screw over the whole line. He's going to be, you know, a decent guy there, but the, the, the rest of this group in terms of what he's trying to put together, I think between Jenkins and Borum from last year and all the guys he brought in this year, the goal out of that group is to have two long-term starters mm-hmm. as a part of this group. That's it. This is not a, you know, if, if you're sitting here going, all right, we're going to have, you know, Braxton Jones, at left tackle, and we're going to have, you know, white hair and then Patrick and then, and then, uh, you know, Zach Thomas and Tevin Jenkins. And that's going to be, you know, three or four of those guys are going to be our core offensive line for the next five, 10 years. That's, that's not what's happening here. As far as I'm concerned, this is, 
throw a bunch of darts on these, you know, six round picks, see which ones, you know, athletic players, you know, you're getting in the late rounds. That is the highest hit rate for, you know, for round six, seven type players is offensive line. I think Ryan Poles used that math to his advantage and he's seen if he can get a couple long-term starters. Patrick's a guy who I think is just going to be here a couple of years and Poles is going to sit here next year, have money where he can go out and spend $20 million on an offensive tackle if he needs to. And He's going to have draft picks. He's going to have a high draft pick. If there's an elite offensive lineman that he can take in the top 10 also might need a receiver. He's going to do that or do that in the second round. We're going to see more pieces infused into this offensive line, but that aside for this year, you know, Zach Thomas and, and Braxton Jones and these guys, there may take some time to develop very rarely day three picks are just plug and play guys in the offensive line. It does it happen. Sure. It happens. But you know, you, when you're sitting there and you're saying you're hoping that all these things turn out for, you know, come up bears, so to speak, you're asking for a lot. And right now with this offensive line, it's so up in the air. And like you said, you know, when we were looking at this offensive line in March and going, all right, Lucas Patrick, that's going to be an upgrade over Sam Mustafer. We know Whitehair's okay. We're already plugging in Tevin Jenkins at the right tackle spot, expecting second round, you know, pick caliber first round pick. If you sit there and say he slid because of his back, we're expecting that to go right in, but, Clearly that hasn't been the case in OTAs for whatever the reason may be. Now you have to slide him in the question mark thing as well. And when you look at the unit from, from left to right and all five positions, the right guard position, there is not repeat, not a viable right guard currently on this roster. Does that mean that Zach Thomas can't have a phenomenal training camp while you in the couple preseason games and earn that job? Absolutely. That's a possibility. Can Sam Mustafer maybe somehow, you know, I don't think so, but turn into a solid right guard. If he doesn't have the pressure of playing center, maybe I doubt it, but you know, we're going to see what this offensive line has, but right now there isn't like, to me, you cannot even put together a viable five on the offensive line. Olin Krutz got crushed a month or so ago when he put out his, his, what he would do for offensive line. And it included Sam Mustafer. And I don't remember who someone came at him about his pick and he responded with, those are the best five offensive linemen currently on the bears. And as much as we rip Sam Mustafer with as little as we know about a lot of these players, Olin Krutz was probably right. His group that he tweeted out, was probably the best five offensive linemen currently as of, you know, June, whatever it was currently that the bears have, and you shouldn't rip Olin Krutz for the tweet. You should sit there and realize that what Olin Krutz tweeted is accurate. And that is scary. Well, Bill, I mean, let me take that negativity, which is more than fair and turn it into positivity. Bill, I have been a Bears fan for now 15 years, and I find it refreshing to see a front office that's willing to actually commit to being bad. I am not by any means trying to call this like a tank job. Obviously, Justin Fields is still on the roster. But Bill, you mentioned it. If when we're talking long term, 
I kind of love the fact that if the bears walk out of this year with even two of these young guys as stone set starters for the future, that's a huge win. Like if you truly found out that there is a lot to like about Braxton Jones and you know what, Larry Borum got a lot better at run blocking. We may have something there and that Zach Thomas, maybe he's not a starter, but you know what? He could be a solid cheap seventh offensive lineman, sixth offensive lineman. He can do a lot of things for you. That's a good season. It's not a good 2022 offensive line, but when you take a managerial look at the future, this offensive line is really, it's better built than grabbing a bunch of one-year guys that are going to make your 2022 team better. They're going to leave you with questions in 2023, 2024. And then, you know, you don't, you don't really move the needle much. The problem is bill is that I think you've talked about this on podcast after podcast and, and it's true. We're looking at the development of a sophomore quarterback here. This feels like a pretty light solution, to say the least, for Justin Fields. Justin Fields is the one who's going to feel the consequences, after all, of if Doug Kramer comes in and Lucas Patrick gets shifted over because Kramer just had this crazy good training camp, right? And then he misses a he misses a call at center, and Justin Fields gets lit up and separates his shoulder. I we talked about how we're not talking doom and gloom here, right? But we are talking about a quarterback that. I mean, he had an injury issue after almost every other game. Like, this is not a quarterback that I can confidently say is hardy as of yet. And hey, injuries are a luck thing. It's just, it's very weird talking about this offensive line because I think, Bill, in the best case scenario, the Bears come out saying, we knew Cody Whitehair wasn't part of the plan, but now we've got Lucas Patrick, we've got our right guard slash right tackle slash left tackle figured out, and we also have another one of those positions figured out with some depth that I think is certainly usable. That's good. In the worst case scenario, they could be the worst offensive, offensive line in the league. Like, I mean, if one or none of these guys work out, if Jenkins has another injury, if like whatever the ifs are, if they don't come up all bears, like this unit has a pretty heavy road to be below average and not outright bad. But we've talked about this before, Bill. Offensive line is also one of the heaviest scrutinized positions in football, where if you block your guy 70% of the time, you suck. And so if if we're talking about a position where all five guys need to block their man or else you give up pressure, it's a not rosy outlook, but for the future, it might get better. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. And I think what we keep talking about is how everything that Ryan Poles has done here, even from trading Khalil Mack and, and, and moving some, some money around and, taking day three picks where you kind of see what you have and what's going to fit in the future. Everything to me points again to the 2023 season, but we're looking at the 2022 season and it's, you know, like I said, you know, I don't want to do worst case scenario, you know, Justin Fields is going to get hurt and miss 11 games. You know, when we get to the quarterback, Let's just say position, he gets sacked a bazillion times, we can, we can pretend there's no injury. <laughs> yeah. But that's the thing is worst case scenario not only is the offensive line bad, but they don't have people that they can plug in and try and make it a little better. You know, right. Jermaine Effetti was not good, but if some of these young players completely fell apart, you had someone like Jermaine Effetti who could come in and that, you know, even Elijah Wilkinson, guys who were at some level 
of NFL players, bad NFL players, but at least players that are worthy of NFL rosters. Right. And this offensive line, look, sixth and seventh round, you know, sixth round picks, seventh round picks on the offensive line. If they're out of the league in two years, that's not a wild thought that that, that kind of stuff happens. Mm-hmm. So if Doug Kramer is a guy who, you know, when I watch tape, you know, he loses his footing a lot and falls on the ground. If Doug Kramer keeps falling on the ground, if Carter isn't a guy that can take the jump into much bigger competition, if Braxton Jones is, is or Zach Thomas look pretty good, but look pretty good as swing tackles or backup right. guards. It's like, hard to be a backup stuck, guard. Suddenly like, you're sitting here and, and white hair gets worse because he's just fading. And this is what, where Cody is at this point in his career. If Lucas Patrick proves that he's a backup and not a starting caliber player, you know, Tevin Jenkins is the, like, there's so many things that can go wrong. And if you were, you know, if you asked Vegas to put, you know, spreads on, you know, what about these players, the, the truth of the matter is, is the favorite would be the negative outcome. Oh, yeah. And that's, you know, so does that mean when I sit here and go, oh, all this could happen and you're listening to this podcast going, well, yeah, it's just doom and gloom attitude that you're assuming that the negative is going to happen. But what I'm saying is the odds are for each one of these players, the ne- for the most part, the negative is the stronger possibility than the positive. Right. That doesn't mean, and that's why I said, like when you're talking about what four offensive linemen drafted this year, plus the two last, you're talking about six off, maybe even you want to throw Lucas Patrick in there. It's like seven offensive linemen. And I'm saying, I want two of them to be viable long-term starters. I'm talking about a less than 30% hit rate, you know, that that's possible. And that'd be good for the long-term of the team. But for this year, I agree with you, a chance that this team, the bottom of this unit could really fall out and they're grasping for straws and are potentially signing veteran guys off the street in October because they don't know what to do about this offensive line. Right. On the other side, if Lucas Patrick does prove that he is a viable starting interior offensive lineman, excellent. Cody Whitehair does recover a little bit because he's got a better player playing to his right, and that helps him. Tevin Jenkins is the second-round talent and the mauler that we think he can be. Larry Borum he just develops a little bit and is can still be at least a decent starter, and then maybe you sign a guy off the street on September 1st that gets cut that you can plug into right guard, or Zach Thomas has a great, like I mentioned, a great preseason then you can sit there and be like, well, this still offensive line. I don't think we are going to look at it and be like, wow, this offensive line ended up being ranked 12th in the NFL. I don't think that's happening, but if the offensive line can be 20th in the NFL, that is a huge surprise and positive for me. And if that happens, I think that can do wonders for Justin Fields. I'll be the first to tell you, Bill, with rankings, it's going to be weird this season because the Bears schedule is easy enough to make, uh, I mean, a decent unit look a lot better by the end of the season, just based on not having to play Kenny Clark, not having to play against Aaron Donald, not having to play against a lot of the people that might rip them up. The one thing that I'll say, so I've got a Uh, We need to address an elephant in the room, and that's that the Bears are more than likely waiting for their Josh Sitton, right? I don't think that they want to sign an Eric Flowers that's going to play for one, maybe two years, and then they cut them. I think that every single move they make, including 24-year-old Nikhil Harry, is focused on, hey, can you be around by, by 2025, because we want to build a team that is at least set through 2025. So if a 29 year old offensive lineman gets cut and they can 
age gracefully, so to speak, through 2025, I think that's something that polls would be interested in. And honestly, I would feel a lot better because right now where things sit, if you include Lucas Patrick in that question mark group, which by the way, I think is fair. If the bears got, if everything did come up bears, three of those guys would be really strong. Right. And sure. three plus one is four and an offensive line has five positions. So even in that best case scenario, still a hole more than likely. Now, again, like you're saying, I don't want to be doom and gloom. It's our job to be as realistic as we can be to try to set expectations for a season that could be hard to watch. I mean, I want to make something so ostensibly clear, Bill. I think that there's a chance Eberflus could lose more games than Nagy ever did. And I still don't think that makes him a bad coach. This is a weird year. The team is in strange shape. I mean, it's clearly a house being rebuilt. And why would we complain about the insulation in a new construction house that hasn't even tried to finish it yet? Right. Sure. But that said, it's still, um, we're still looking at Justin Fields. If Fields wasn't on this roster, I we strangely enough, Bill, I have a feeling you might feel better because it'd be like, okay, we're building everything. Simeon's not going to win many games. We're going to reload a quarterback next year, but that's not where we sit. Is it? So exactly. It's, it's a strange one to talk about because 2022 does matter. If only because fields is on the roster and clearly he's like all of the marketing that the bears are pushing right now. So I'll be interested to see what they do. Scheme may actually do this offensive line some favors, but at the end of the day, four or five guys have to block four guys. And if those, if those five can't do it, fields is going to struggle. Yeah. And, and you know, when you get, you're, you're talking about 2025 and I think, you know, I'm going to use the Bengals as an example and not that things went their way and they actually made the Super Bowl. But the fact that I think the 2023 Bears, Ryan Poles wants to be the 2021 Bengals right. team that was bad in 2022, had a really high pick. He was able to turn those picks into viable starters. And a lot of money. Superstar in Javon you know, Chase. Goodness a- gracious. Absolutely. And, you know, you're going to be in a position, I think, sitting there at four, five, six in the draft where you will have the potential to draft a superstar. And if Justin Field shows that he is improving and is going to be the guy, the fact that you can be in that position and not need a quarterback with teams potentially that do need a quarterback and you can load up on assets, trade back, still get a great player. There's a lot of positives that can happen there if Fields does kind of fight through this offense and and develop and become the guy, which I still am leaning towards that he will become the guy and I'm hoping he will become the guy. But that's what I think this is, is bad this year turn heads next year and become a viable team. Maybe you get bounced in the first round, but that would look, if we all said the bears went, you know, 10 and seven made the playoffs in 2023 and got bounced in the first round by, you know, the Dallas Cowboys, we're all signing up for that right now. Um, You know, where you sit there and say, okay, you know, it's kind of like the 2018 bears where you're now sitting there saying, okay, you know, 2019, 2020, this is where this team's going to be really good. Right. Obviously it didn't happen, but that's where we're trying to position this. And that's where you can see it clearly, but yeah, it's the prospects for 2022 that are, are right. a little scary. I mean, so, go ahead. Draft, draft picks aren't everything, but that's why I started this offensive line section by saying, I am excited about a front office that is refreshingly willing to risk being legitimately horrible 
like at offensive line anyways, because it doesn't really matter if Mooney takes a wild second step. It doesn't really matter if Cole Kmet becomes Travis Kelsey. If you have the worst offensive line in the league, you're going to lose games. And so the nice thing there is that Bill, we've seen years of the bears at the time. It was 16 game season being eight and eight, seven and nine. They win that last game of the season to be nine and seven. to miss the playoffs, right? Like, I mean, that pick, which is usually like 17th, is not that helpful compared to a top 10 draft pick, let alone top five draft pick. I mean, no matter what happens, if Justin Fields, the, say the nightmare, this is a season where Fields gets hurt badly, right? But he has six solid games, he gets hurt, and the Bears draft second overall or something like that. That puts Ryan Poles and the organization in a very a pretty nice situation. Certainly a lot stronger than those situations that they found themselves in this last off season. So I think that the direction gives the bears a lot of options. This lets them weather the storm, see what happens, watch who comes out on the other end and make decisions from there. I mean, truly the weird part about talking about this offensive line section to hopefully wrap it up is that individually, I love the fact that they drafted high off or like high athlete guys that may actually have a chance at contributing and are now going to give them legitimate opportunity in training camp to prove themselves and potentially gain valuable snap experience through a 2022 season that I think everybody is on board with. We are going to do our best, whatever that means. Now, does that mean Fields is going to throw for 5,000 yards behind this offensive line? That feels unlikely to me, Bill, because I'm worried that they won't be able to run the ball consistently. You talked about Doug Kramer. If he's a starting center, it's going to look like Mustafer in a lot of situations. I mean, it's not to say the guy sucks. It's more to say that he does get pushed around a lot, and when he loses a rep, he loses it pretty emphatically. But that's because he's a six-round pick. I mean, like, absolutely. That's, that's, that's expected. (laughs) What are we looking for? (laughs) Like, I'm not treating these guys like the second round picks. So if Braxton Jones is an LT of the future, that's amazing. If, (laughs) if Larry Borum can hold water at right tackle and Braxton Jones is the left tackle of the future, this rules. And I'm glad we know, you know what I mean? It's just, we'll have to see what happens and hold our breath pretty much every time somebody takes a snap. But it'll be interesting if nothing else. It it will be interesting. So, I mean, we've kind of been talking about Justin Fields kind of throughout this, obviously, because every right. position group impacts him. Uh, so let's get to the last position group, and then we'll talk a little bit about Fields to wrap up the offense here. And that's the running running back room. And the running back room, to me, obviously is going to be contingent on the offensive line. They're not going to be able to perform if there are no holes. So that's, that's I mean, about as straightforward as you can get for football 101. But in terms of this running back group overall, in terms of what to expect from them, this is kind of the most bulletproof room to me in terms of it's solid. It, you know, and this is not ripping David Montgomery. It doesn't have that high end elite special talent, you know, peak Christian McCaffrey type, you know, running back. That's fine if that's not there because David Montgomery, while I don't want to see the Bears throwing a ton of money at him, he is a guy who can come in. You can get you four or five yards. He's going to break some tackles. He's a, he's a solid contributor. We saw that Herbert is a solid guy there with the amount that, you know, and I know the Bears, obviously they, they drafted Ebner. They, they brought in Evans. Uh, they're gonna get, we've got an actual fullback on the roster. I think if you include fullback in this position group, I think when we get to the final 53, we're going to see five running backs on this, on this offensive 
uh, group. Wouldn't surprise me, but I got a question for you, Bill. Which of the last five years of San Francisco running backs, of which there, I mean, there must be like 50, was your favorite? Was it Raheem Mostert? Was it Trey <laughs> Sermon? Like, which of the San Francisco running backs that all produced was your favorite? Because for me personally, I, it was Elijah Mitchell because I drafted him in the last round of the dynasty rookie. Draft. There you go. But I'm sure you've seen it just like I have. Every San Francisco running back that got carries has been successful and their offensive line is not amazing. I mean, and especially this year, but let's set that aside. The main thing that I'm looking forward to is that both Green Bay and San Francisco have run such a healthy running scheme that, you know what, if we get a decent outcome on offensive line, if they are the 26th ranked offensive line in the league, which actually might be a little bit better than decent. Not the point. Let's not get too negative. I think that this scheme plus the running back talent that they have could make them pretty productive. I mean, I'm a big believer that paying running backs right now doesn't make a lot of sense. I actually think they should restructure the CBA to favor running backs a little bit more because the, the whole idea of the way that the rookie contract structure works just tanks a position with a historically low shelf life. I mean, that's not a, the conversation at hand here though khalil herbert is a phenomenal system fit i mean he is hand in glove within this offense i worry that david montgomery's on his way out and i only worry that because i know a lot of fans that are that just love him for obvious reasons hard worker power back like can do all sorts of things shake tackles like he's a madden character but I do think that there's a reason that on 70 carries, which is not nothing, Bill, Khalil Herbert had a 4.2 yards per carry, while David Montgomery was closer to 3.8 behind the same offensive line, including, uh, Bill, one of the better days running that anybody had against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So I'm hopeful that Khalil Herbert gets a stronger role. I think Tristan Ebner could be that sneaky back uh, that is able to contribute as a third down back, which the Bears haven't, or they lost when Tariq Cohen got hurt. And I'm also interested to see how they use Kari Blazing game because it wouldn't surprise me because we're not going to talk about fullbacks, right? So I'm just going to lump them into running back. It wouldn't surprise me if they're they're The bears are going to at least experiment with trying to get some Kyle use check game out of Kari blazing game. He's extremely athletic use check is a stud, but also he plays a bit of a one of a kind position because nobody's been quite so willing to use a fullback. Truly there's a chance that gets, could become bears fans, favorite offensive coordinator, ever if he brings the fullback back to Chicago. I mean, <laughs> like match made in heaven, right, Bill? But like you said, I think that this running back room is actually pretty deep. Uh, I think Ryan Poles is built it the right way. And I'm very hopeful that they're willing to at least experiment with the, that fullback position. Not because I harbor any particular love for the fullback, but because the way San Fran has used him has basically made it to where you can have two tight ends, that are both blockers and a legitimate receiver threat, at least legitimate enough to honor that is also a legitimate blocker that can create some chaos for defenses, you know? Yeah. And, and, and I'm right there with you. I think this unit is truly built for the Kyle Shanahan offense. I think, mm -hmm. 
you know, David Montgomery is not going to be getting 26 carries a game and, and, and shoulder 350 carries kind of thing for the season that, that that's not going to happen. I think we're going to Monty's going to get plenty of touches, but Herbert's going to get touches. If one of those guys gets hurt, you know, I think Evans or Ebner, you know, can, you know, carve out some kind of role potentially. I think we're going to see that kind of that, that machine where those running backs are constantly, you know, getting in there, and, and, and getting yards, especially if the offensive line can block the scheme, as you mentioned, well enough. I agree with you. I think, you know, that the use check angle for, for blasting game is an absolute possibility. I think that's what they're going to see if they can get out of them. They may not be able to, but that's what I think. The, the, Probably going to try. Yeah, right? exactly. <laughs> they're going to try and see what they have. I think a lot of, you know, we've kind of talked about it. A lot of this season is going to be, what do we have with these people when they and, and these players in terms of trying to look to the future? So mm-hmm. I think I think this group is interesting. I think this group is solid. You know, like I said, I'm done complaining about the offseason and what they've done. But if they sign David Montgomery to a four year, you know, 50 million dollar extension in August, I'm going to lose my cool again. Right. And I don't want to lose my cool. And that has, you know, I like David Montgomery. And that's the thing. I think the people who sit there and say you shouldn't extend David Montgomery you know, come across as people who don't like him and think he stinks. That's not the case at all. It's not the case. He's a solid running back. You don't extend solid running backs because you can't have that kind of money invested in your running back group in terms of where you need to allocate your resources in the current NFL. That's just the way it is. David Montgomery is not that elite special talent. He's you know, I think he's good, uh, you know, with the ESPN just did that and he didn't even get a vote in terms of the top 10 running backs, you know, and I know a lot of Bears fans were upset about that. You know, is he better than Josh Jacobs? Is he better than what Saquon Barkley has actually been? Yeah, probably. So, you know, you can sit there and, and disagree a, a little bit with the group, but he's not on the Jonathan Taylor level. He's not Derrick Henry. I know Derrick Henry is a, a unicorn, but he's not that type of impact running back. Those are the type of running backs you need to spend on. So when I look at this group, I see David Montgomery leaving after this season and Khalil Herbert or potentially another fifth round rookie that, that Ryan Poles brings in. And I kind of see this running back room um, about is, is just going to kind of keep evolving throughout this Ryan Poles, you know, era that we have. I don't think unless he stumbles into Jonathan Taylor, I don't think we're going to have that type of commitment to a running back. I think it's just going to continue to change. And I I'm fine with that because if the scheme is good, if the sh- if the scheme, the running scheme that Getsy brings here is what we all think it can be, then you don't have to invest in running back and you can keep a group like this and know you're going to get production out of the running game as long as the offensive line is, is blocking the right guys up front. Right. Bill, out of curiosity, do you follow college football much? Because I know you're a Syracuse grad, but uh, I, I follow college football, but I don't grind college football tape. I think totally. there's a big difference there. So then you've probably seen, just like I have, that every time a major coordinator or a major group changes coaches, that you could call a year zero follows immediately where the team takes a dive 
right? Not on purpose, but the new coach is getting in his kinds of recruits. He's teaching older recruits, a brand new system and a whole lot of the group that you had kind of, I wouldn't say they fall by the wayside. They just are a casualty of the regime change. I think the bears are doing very similar thing here. And so the trouble with David Montgomery is that especially as the bears implement this Shanahan style running game, or at least what we could assume is a Shanahan green Bay blend. That means that they're going to take the outside zone running game. They were running and they're going to get even wider with it. So they're going to go to the edges more often. And that's not something David Montgomery is very good at. If anything, Bill, especially after David Montgomery's turn as an inside zone runner, didn't really work out all that well. I think that David Demo would fit so well in a place like Baltimore in a place like what uh, the Steelers do though. Obviously they have Najee and they wouldn't, they wouldn't really want him. Um, The places that run a gap scheme that would fit or David Montgomery so well where they say, okay, David, you're going to bang it up the B gap and you're going to hit it as hard as you can. You're going to break a tackle and then you're just going to take off. Yes. That's great for him. But this current like run laterally, pick your hole and blast through it. That's Herbert's game. That's Ebner's game. That's not David Montgomery's game who just doesn't have the speed to get that far and then like hit or truly beat a defender to the outside edge. And if you don't believe me, envision Roquan Smith and David Montgomery in a race to the sidelines. Ultimately we know 58 is going to beat him there. So like you're saying, I don't, it's not that I hate Dave Montgomery. It's that I don't think he is a system fit here. I want him to make money and deserve it somewhere else. It breaks my heart that a player would give so much of their body and ultimately just get a rookie deal to like take home at the end of their career. Right. But we have to think about this rationally. We have to think about it from a resource perspective. And it's not like you said, It's not that I hate David. I think he's a better receiver, frankly, than he's known for. But within this offense, I don't think he's Aaron Jones. And that's what you need. Yeah. And, and, and that's, that's what we're looking at. And, but, but I think, you know, objectively, but the room rules, (laughs) but again, that's, you know, it's a solid room and it's not one that, that, that as bears fans, there's plenty to worry about on this offense running back room, not one of them, you know, let's spend a couple minutes here. I know we've kind of been talking about Justin Fields the whole time, so we don't need to kind of reiterate everything. We've been going kind of a, a, a decent length here anyway, but Justin Fields, you know, this is obviously, this is a big year for him. We know the importance of the development in the second year. You know, when, you know, when we look best case, worst case here, it's tough not to say worst case scenario is Justin Fields gets hurt because of the offensive line and because of the style of play he has and and all that. But to me, if we're putting that aside, worst case here with Justin Fields is he doesn't look much better than he did in Matt Nagy's offense. And what I mean by that, sure, he's going to have, highlight real throws where your eyes pop out of your head. But Jeff George had highlight real throws. You know, I know where I'm going. I'm dating myself with that reference, but that's you could say Jay of- Cutler. They're, they're the same player, <laughs> but, right? Yeah. You know, well, Jay Cutler's <laughs> better than Jeff George, but, but, but what I'm saying, why I bring up Jeff George is because Jeff George, Jay Cutler right. was a viable starting quarterback, right? Jeff George wasn't, but Jeff George could still, put together a 350 yard game because he threw you know, a few beautiful deep balls and threw three touchdowns. That's what I think Justin Fields has regardless of whether he's good or not. Mm-hmm. But if we don't see meaningful strides with Justin Fields this year in what we assume is a better scheme, 
and hopefully pressure off him with a better running game. Again, this is all what we're hoping for, right? That's going to be really alarming. And that's where you have to sit there and go, is this regime going to go quarterback with a high pick in 2023? The nice thing about fields is that he's shown us what he's good at. I actually think that's something that Mitch really struggled with, which might set the comments fire. So I'm sorry for that, but (laughs) what fields has shown us that he's good at any throw. That's basically like 15 yards in real yardage, like air yardage or longer when fields makes a 10 yard out route throw to Darnell Mooney from the opposite hash. It looks beautiful. And it's right on target. When he made his deep throws, he looked beautiful. He was right on target. A guy named, uh, Oh my gosh, he's Brickwell blitz on Twitter. His name's Johnny. And I forget his last name, but he does the deep ball project on Twitter every year. And, uh, he, he came to the conclusion that Justin Fields was I'm not kidding you, Bill, the fifth best deep ball passer in the NFL last year I so believe it. on deep throws fields was a star. And I think that rules. Cause you can work with that. Like you, you talked about Jeff George, but at the same time, I'll be the first to tell you, Bill, could we have picked a worse match for Justin Fields than a guy who at his worst tried to turn a deep ball thrower like Russell Wilson into a West coast quarterback. Those don't fit. They don't fit at all. So what we're going to need to see from fields is can he a please stop fumbling. The fumbles are bad. Now, no, Jonathan Wood came to the conclusion uh, a couple months ago that every single rookie quarterback that's bad at fumbling gets better. The fumbling may never go fully away, but the fumble rate gets cut in about half, which is Russell good. Wilson's fumbling never went fully away. And look nope. who, and, you know, and he's, he's a Hall of Famer. Exactly. When you hold onto the ball for six seconds, you're going to eat some strip sacks. It's part of the game. But what I want to see fields get specifically better at bill. I want to see digs and I want to see posts, things that are over the middle of the field fields work those better. I don't expect him to be a curl route guru. I don't expect him to be running a lot of the nineties West coast plays that Matt Nagy trotted out. But I do think there's room for improvement when he's throwing over the middle of the field, which rookies historically never do. If anything, Bill, I think that fields almost law fields missed the chance at the end of the season to cook the giants, to cook a couple of the bad teams that we had down the stretch because of injury and make people feel better. That's my honest belief. So if fields can chain the mobility that we obviously saw him have and the accuracy that he's shown downfield and improve just a little bit at the way that he works that middle of the field, I think he's going to leave us with a lot to be excited about, even if his statistics don't show it particularly well, this offensive line could hinder him from throwing for 4,000 yards very easily. Like, I mean, we've got to take the situation into account, right, Bill? And so if the bears run it on first down, and they get zero yards and they run it on second down and they get one yard and fields has to to throw for his fifth, third and nine of the game. I'm not going to blame him for not looking like a hall of famer. You know what I mean? I'd love it if he did, but I think that this is a year of being very contextual. If field, if fields has a solid supporting cast, we need to expect a lot out of him. If he doesn't, we don't. We should just look for semantic improvement. Is he holding onto the ball better? Is he going through his reads better? Is he putting balls in places for people to make contested catches when nothing else is open? That's good. Is he choosing whether to run or to throw better? The all 22 is going to give us a lot of answers here. And so thankfully on Windy City Gridiron, we have that available. But 
it's going to be a weird year for judging quarterbacks. Cause you know, as well as I do bill that all it's going to take is one bad game for the offensive line and one 175 yard performance and Bustin fields is going to blow up on Twitter. And look, I think you brought up a lot of good points. And I think of all the fails that Matt Nagy had last year, and there were several with how he handled Justin Fields and what he did with this offense. And again, there were fails 2020, 2019 as well, but focused on the 2021 season, the lack of development and what he did to help Fields and put him in positions to succeed. The one thing I think the Nagy offense, for whatever the reason, worked better in 2018 with Mitch Trubisky is they got to manageable third downs on a regular basis. Mitch was facing third and four, third and three a lot. That wasn't the case with Justin Fields last year. And Justin Fields really struggled when he didn't have any help from coaching staff, scheme, offensive line, anything. You know, a lot of times Justin Fields was a, I'm going to have to do this myself. And Justin Fields was not ready to do it himself. And Justin Fields isn't going to be ready to do it himself this year either. Takes a while to become that kind of level quarterback. Some quarterbacks are viable NFL QBs and can never do it themselves. You have to be a special player to do that. I think Justin Fields has the potential to be there, but he's not there right now. And and we've talked about short intermediate passing game and Fields struggles in there. But, you know, as you mentioned, the, the beauty of the deep ball and, you know, that's almost in one of those, you know, can't coach categories, you know, right. sure. Can you tweak a mechanic here or there and make a release a little quicker? Yeah. All that's possible. But that beautiful 50 yard ball right on the dime, right on the money. That's so hard. And so few quarterbacks have that even very good quarterbacks. So the fact that fields has that the hope is that they can work backwards and that Getsy with his scheme and what he wants to do is going to open up that intermediate right. and that shorter passing game. And if fields gets that under control and that's where I am with, with the positivity there, like I said, yep. worst case scenario, we don't see strides from fields. We just see a couple pretty plays, and every week is the same thing we were seeing last year for the most part, even though there was improvements, we did see improvements. I'm not, you know, and, and I think you're right, you know, especially based off of what we saw the second half of that Pittsburgh game. If fields didn't get hurt and had more opportunities in December, I think we would have seen significant strides that would make us feel even better about him, right. but we didn't really get that chance. So if Getsy and fields kind of take that development together in terms of this scheme, I think we can see a Justin Fields, despite not having a great offensive line, despite not having a lot of weapons to utilize, can put up what I would consider pretty good NFL numbers. Not amazing NFL numbers, He's but if Justin Fields gets to the point, last year's numbers, he played better than those numbers, right. but it doesn't matter how much better he played than those numbers. Those are still the numbers. That's still the passing game. If oh, Justin yeah. Fields gets to the point, where he can play a full season and just throw for 3,400 yards, 3,500 yards, 22, 23 touchdowns, cut back on the interceptions a little bit. We're going to feel substantially better about Justin Fields and this entire offense moving forward. 
Oh yeah. And I mean, Bill, you talk about how you think that fields played better than the stats. I'll give you a way that you can go look it up. And I've looked it up myself. I apologize, but I know it's there. Fields's yardage total is going to match his air yardage total, or he's going to have less yards than he had air yards. It's insane how rarely the bears utilized screens with Justin Fields. And I can't, think that that's a quarterback thing. It's not that hard to take a snap and throw to a designated outside receiver, but for some reason, Bill, they couldn't run a wide receiver bubble screen until Andy Dalton came in the game in Baltimore. And what happened when that, or when they did immediately Dalton got 63 yards. I mean, it's, it was frustrating, not because I care about Justin Fields stats. I mean, I, I guess I care a little bit. Obviously, I like the guy and want him to succeed. But there is something to the idea of when Seattle couldn't get Russell Wilson to throw over the middle particularly well, they ran a ton of screens and they do. They run, run running back screens. They run wide receiver screens. They run every screen they can think of because it's a way to simulate a short game without a quarterback that needs to be good at a short game. If that makes sense, there are workarounds, especially when, like we're talking about, you've got a especially talented deep thrower that can also extend plays and open up things for your offense. Look, I hate the Packers as much as everybody else, but not every quarterback is Aaron Rodgers, who might be one of the rare quarterbacks I've seen that is distinctly good at every throw in football. Right. I mean, whether it's short West coast throws, which you could argue is his bread and butter or deeper throws down the field, which he's obviously painted corners in for as long as he's been in the league, it's much more normal to find a quarterback. That's good at one thing and fine at this. And we're hoping that fields not becomes Alex Smith. We're not hoping that he becomes a short throw guru, just that he becomes passable, that there aren't areas of the fields that he's woeful in. And Hey, I have to touch on Trevor Simeon. If the bears were going to the playoffs, I would like Simeon as a backup. I mean, you've got legitimate NFL starting experience. He doesn't, he's not terrible as a starter. I mean, backup quarterbacks are hard to find in the modern day NFL. There aren't that many Tyler Huntley's out there that are respectable and simulate what your quarterback is good at in the first place. So Simeon's a guy I would like enough. If I didn't think that the season again, it's probably not a playoff season. So backup quarterback is very meh. Yeah, Trevor Simeon's fine. And and I'll be honest, and I, I have a feeling they probably promised Nick Foles early on that he was not going to be on this, this team this right. year. I, I'm guessing that happened because I will be honest. When I wanted to trade Nick Foles for a draft pick, I thought they could get a draft pick for Nick Foles. But teams waited because why? They knew Nick Foles had absolutely no spot in essence, on this roster. So they waited the Bears out and the Bears had to finally let him go. And, you know, and obviously, you know, Foles has moved on. But I would have liked Nick Foles to stick around for this year. I really think Nick Foles, I think, gets NFL offenses. I think he's, you know, he's smart. I think there's a lot that he offers a QB room where you have a quarterback in Justin Fields where let's call this what it is. When you go back to college, this is now Justin Fields third offense in three years. Mm -hmm. And we talked about it with Jay Cutler all the time. Jay Cutler had a revolving door of offensive coordinators and it 100% hurt him. You know, if Jay Cutler had a solid 
offensive coordinator his entire career? Would he have developed into a top 10 quarterback? I'm not saying that's the case. We don't know, but it certainly did not help that the offense was constantly changing. Now, look, Getsy could be here now for the next 10 years and everything stabilizes and everything's fine. But if Getsy doesn't work out, and that's kind of where I'm kind of going next here is talk a little bit about Luke Getsy as we wrap up the offense. If Getsy doesn't work out and Justin Fields has a new offensive core, let's say Justin Fields is good enough to stick around, but Justin Fields has a new offensive coordinator in 2024. And now you're talking about his fourth offense in five years, like this kind of thing. This is going to become an eventual problem for Justin Fields. Now, again, I think, you know, I like what Getsy said so far. I'm positive about Getsy. I'm not doing best case, worst case. It doesn't really work with, no. with a coach, but you know, I think everyone's sitting there saying they love the Kyle Shanahan offense. They love the Packers offense, gets these ties to this. It's perfect. It's great. We're all excited. Wonderful. But at the same time, Luke Getze is a guy who has never called plays. And we saw it with, with Matt Nagy. You know, you learn that play calling is its own skill set. You can be a phenomenal coach and not be a good play caller. Right. It's a completely separate skill set. And we don't know if Luke Getze has it. We can sit there and say the signs point to Luke Getze being a good one, but we don't know. So maybe Luke Getze is a good offensive coordinator, but they don't have a play caller, you know, a good offensive play caller on the coaching staff. There's still unknowns here. And again, I'm definitely, look, we know the, the, the woes of Matt Nagy's offense. So any change is good change at this point. But we can't just sit here and assume that Luke Getze is destined to be the next Bill Walsh or Sean McVay. Right. And I mean, Bill, come on. Another thing, I thought you were going to mention it when you started leading into Nagy. When the Bears hired Matt Nagy, the hot offense of the time was Andy Reid's West Coast offense. And so we've been down this road. I like the Shanahan offense, but it, there's no doubting that it's very in fashion right now. And the problem is, is that a popular offense that's in fashion is often a popular offense. The defensive coordinators put a little bit extra time into planning for. So we'll see what happens. I mean, I obviously have high hopes for anybody associated with the Chicago bears. Like if they hire an offensive line coach with no experience, sure. Hope he succeeds, right? That's my team we're talking about, but Within this context, my hope going forward, Bill, is that as teams get more and more and more and more pass heavy, that the Staley defense continues to pop up all around the league. Who remember the Brandon Staley Chargers defense was so stop the pass heavy that they were one of the worst teams in the NFL against the run. And that Shanahan offense is very run heavy. Truly it is based on the run. And so if the bears can find some success running the ball, even if they're running it against soft, like soft boxes, I could care less, right? If they can find some success running the ball, I do think, that will help give them confidence in running play action. Despite what analytics say about you don't need to run the ball well to run play action. A lot of times coaches need the, or need to run the ball well to feel good about running play action. And so that should give Justin Fields longer windows to throw deeper receivers to target. It should play into his hands and we get this holistic, nice offense, right? I'll take the unknown in Getsy over a mediocre hire that we already know the answer to every single time. But gracious, Bill, if for some reason Getsy's out in two years, 
hard for me to project the bears are in a good spot. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, let's just kind of do final thought on the offense here and we'll wrap up this episode. I mean, for me, and I think it's going to be for you and for really all bears fans, look, you could sit there and say, I want to see Mooney develop better. And I want Jones to, you know, both Jones Braxton and Bellis to become great rookies and Baba. you could say all this stuff, but the bottom line, the core of this entire offense, because we know this is a new regime. So they're looking forward. This is about Justin Fields development. Hundred, you know, if the offensive line, if none of the pieces really look like viable ace offensive linemen, but they all look, all five of them look like pretty good OL six, so to speak. And that's good enough to keep Justin Fields upright enough and keep the running game going enough. I'll take it because again, I want Justin Fields to develop. Yes. Would I like to see a few of these new pieces along the way? Absolutely. But I want the Chicago bears to be in a position to blossom in 2023 offense as a full team, but specifically offensively. And they can't do that without Justin Fields. Now, if Justin Fields isn't the guy and falls apart and he's not what we hoped and the bears move on from him, then we're having a totally different conversation in 2023 about, you know, Bryce young or or whoever might be the the next quarterback of the Chicago bears. Cause if Justin Fields, isn't the guy that's where you have a conversation. The bears may have the number one pick in the draft, number two pick at the draft, because if with the lack of talent we've talked about in a lot of positions and Justin Fields, isn't it, well, then they've got absolutely nothing in the cupboard. So that's a different conversation to have, but that also means in 2023, now you're developing a rookie quarterback. So you're not quite ready to take that step yet. That changes the whole timeline of this, uh, of this regime. But if Justin Fields shows that he'll be ready in 2023, that's everything I want right now is to know that the bears have the best quarterback potentially they've ever had. And they're ready to become a viable playoff team in 2023. Right. I, I have to start blunt bill. Because I agree with everything you're saying, but you, you didn't say one thing. I think I really need to just hammer home. This offense is probably going to be pretty bad. Like overall, as much as I like a lot of the, imagine where I could say, I like a lot of the individual parts, but I think that the whole is so, way too uncertain for me to project that it is definitely going to be good. I mean, I think that there are going to be cracks in any system. If we get the perfect copy of the Green Bay system and Mooney explodes and the offensive line has a whole bunch of pieces work out and Cole Komet takes a step forward and most importantly, Justin Fields is a stud, (laughs) that rules. But, you know, in my dreams. And so we'll, we'll have to feel out what happens. I think that one thing that really helps the Bears here is that the schedule is easy enough to where even a bad offense should have plenty of competitive days, right? If they had the schedule that they had last year where they were running up against the Bucks and the Bills and the, the Rams and the Packers twice, obviously, and anybody in the North was any better, then I'd, this could be a rough year, but it isn't. We get to play the Falcons and the Jets and the Texans and the Lions and the a bunch of teams that are bad enough to where the Bears should have plenty to grow from. Because at the end of the day, Bill, I don't care how many snaps are in the game. If you lose 13 to 40, there's I don't think there's near as much takeaway as if you lose 21 to even 33, right? A two-score loss and a blowout are different stories. So the bright side for Bears fans going into this year is that there is no such thing as losing 
right? I don't know if there's really any circumstance where going forward, Bill, there the team is in a worse case because even if Justin Fields is awful, the tools are there for them to replace him. It's something no one wants to talk about, right? But last year, if Fields had sucked, they would have been sunk. During a lot of the Trubisky years, if Trubisky flagged, the Bears were sunk, right? This is not that situation. If even the worst nightmare scenario happens and Fields doesn't live up to what we hope he does, the Bears are not sunk. They are building for the future to almost a fault. But will that just means that this next year is going to be an adventure for all of us is the way that I keep putting it. <laughs> like we're, we're all going to go through a 49ers game that I think bears fans are getting shockingly confident about uh, in week one. I mean that we're all going to walk through an easy schedule and we may very well watch the bears lose to Marcus Mariota's Falcons. We may watch Davis mills beat us. We may watch a bunch of Vikings fans try to dance on Justin Fields grave. We're very, very early. The Lions, especially if Jamison Williams comes back, have a surprisingly dangerous offense, and that could be a tougher game than we realize. But all of this is a process, right? It's the Sixers. It's your whatever, insert your rebuilding team, Bill. We are not testing our finished house against other teams' finished houses. We know we're under construction. So right now, it's just a matter of figuring out what's foundation and what's not. And that's going to be a drive-by-drive drive question. Yeah, and, and you brought this up about the schedule and everything. Because I was actually talking to someone uh, who is a you know ga- sports gambling analyst okay. expert. And they know talking, a lot. Those guys lot. are good. And talking about kind of the over-under with the Bears, which I think is sitting at six or six and a half, which mm-hmm. you know feel, feels a little high, but the schedule and everything. And I talked to him about it, and it, he basically said – that the gambling community doesn't know what to do with the bears because of the fact that they see the roster is lacking, but at the same time, they see the schedule as one that can be taken advantage of. They told me that the Chicago bears are projected to be in the most one score games in the NFL this year which is at least going to, if that's accurate, and I I know obviously this is just projections before training camp, but if that's accurate, if the Bears can be in a 24 to 20 game in the fourth quarter, even if they end up losing, at least it's watchable. And And it's valuable for the players too. Yes, absolutely. So I think that's where we have an interesting dynamic is the Bears are going to be playing a lot of bad teams and they may end up losing to those teams. But the thing is, is, we're sitting here going, well, best case, worst case. And we're saying, we don't know. Well, the experts, the ones behind the curtain, you know, the, 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 the Oz of, of Vegas and, and, and those who, who break the books and run the numbers in the computers, they don't know either. They don't know what to make of this team. And that's the bottom line is there's a lot of unknowns and you're going to have some people swing wildly and be like, well, all the unknowns are going to come up Millhouse, and we're going to be 11 and six and make the playoffs and be the surprise team of the year. And the fact is, is, and I think a lot of Bears fans lose sight that, yes, we work for Windy City Gridiron and we put together analysis and we, we try and give objective views of the roster, but we are fans. And we want this. We, like I said early in this podcast, I want Bears fans to just rub it in my face that I was ripping Bellis Jones at the, at the draft and ripping Ryan Pulse's process. I want that. I don't think it's going to happen, but I want that. So 
I want the Bears to do well, but there's just too many unknowns. And when you have this many unknowns, usually it trends into the negative. And that's where Vegas doesn't under, doesn't know. We don't know. We talked about the wild swings of what the offensive line could be. It's just a question mark season. And it's one that shows all signs, the tank that's not a tank. The We're, we're going to not give Justin Fields much and see what he can do on his own. All these pizzas are all pointing to a let's see what we have 2022 so we can put together our team in 2023. But again, we're not looking to wait 14 months to see what the product is. We want to see what the product is in, in a month and a half. Of course. All right. That's going to do it for the offensive training camp preview. Robert and I will be back with part two. Make sure you, 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 uh, you get that one as well. Plenty to do on the defensive side of the ball. That is Matt Eberflus' specialty and where the Bears did more focus than they did on the offensive side of the ball. So plenty to talk about there. We'll get into it in part two. Bears banter, Bill Zimmerman, Robert Schmitz. We'll see you next time.